I am Puneet Kurana with my very good friend Manish Thawar and together we bring you Stoic podcast series. This series is started as an initiative by stoicinvesting.com to bring the best minds of investing to teach their wisdom irrespective of their investment style or philosophy. Learn the various viewpoints, choose the nuggets and then develop or enhance your own investing style. Hi listeners, welcome back to the Stoic podcast series. I always believe that there are two type of people in our financial services specifically the investing industry. One who have no or little experience of outperformance. And that outperformance period also comes during the bull market. As Buffett would have called them the naked swimmers in the high tide. And not surprisingly, you will always find these naked high tide swimmers harping about their skill set and their geniuses ignoring the role of randomness and luck in the process there is a second breed however who will consistently outperform across the market cycles but will consistently underplay the skill component in the luck versus skill debate among this rare second breed there is an even rarer subsection that is brutally honest in their approach to investing and life and their answers generally reflect the same Today we have a guest who belongs to this rarer of the breed Anu Bhaskar an award winning mutual fund manager who is extremely candid and equally talented We met for the podcast post our meeting at the Howard Marks event in Mumbai and it was no surprise to me to see Anu present there as he is a big Howard Marks fan from whom he has learned to appreciate and manage risks this and many more conversations and the truth about the mutual fund industry from both the sides of the debate is what follows in my conversation with him i also have nuresh mirani as my co-host during the podcast nuresh and i loved our conversation with anup and we hope you enjoy it too let's listen in welcome welcome to the stoic investing podcast um your career path has been interesting to say the least so you started with kothari if i'm not wrong um in the mutual fund industry and uh, from there you went on kothari was acquired by franklin from franklin to sundaram then to uti and then to idfc mutual fund okay first question is what has changed in terms of your working philosophy or anything else and what has not changed so what has been the consistent factors in your working from Sorry, from kothari to idfc no, kothari i was an analyst for almost ten and a half years okay so from that point of view decision making was not in my uh, and and since sundaram i okay. been a decision maker and also uh, managing a team so it's a bit of a progression after a very flat career <laughs> but 10 years as an analyst that is something very unthinkable nowadays isn't it so that is the bear uh, market of the 90s so i keep saying that i am a child of the bear market so i there were very few opportunities uh, and even in 2003 i think the largest fund was 1500 crores in size which is which is a blue chip fund so the market took a long time to explode but when it exploded you were in sundaram yeah so I, 2003 i uh, moved to sundaram because i wanted to try managing a mid cap fund okay. and it was a, as howard mark says if you are aggressive and right time you don't need much skill to do well so okay 
so that was i mean if you if if i had joined 2 years earlier i would have probably uh, been a has been in the market because the earlier 2 years were really were quite difficult uh, this you mean 2001 2001 2000, 2000 yeah 2001 2002 actually were not very difficult uh, they were very interesting in a way that uh, in 2002 if i'm not mistaken prime fund nav went up three times in one year wow and the market overall market fell so there was this huge move which had happened in mid and small caps and the broad market as represented by nifty just did not register anything so that way uh, uh, if you were managing a large cap fund in 2001 to it would have been really painful but managing a mid cap fund would have been really interesting so i think the 2003 was a blessing so my first purchase was blue dart at 70 rupees i bought 1% of the fund at 70 rupees of course 70 uh, 70 and it went on to what 16 70 yeah i think so 2000 bucks yeah 2000 bucks yes so solid yeah yeah i generally my thought process was that you would not allow the stock to go beyond a certain percentage of the portfolio rather than take an absolute call on exiting okay so because exit is not based on valuation if is that what you are saying it could be triggered by valuation yeah but it would be more based on what weight the stock would have in the portfolio okay rather than just an absolute call on valuation because things can remain too expensive for too long and prove you wrong uh, so one way out for a in your portfolio is to uh, keep the weight pegged to a certain level okay. uh, and and keep trimming the stock whenever it goes up rather than taking an absolute call to exit because now you know it's at a very high elevated level i have certain you know very specific questions regarding your process but i'll, I'll come to that f- hmm. um, so let me first hover around the point that you at the end of the day have spent majority of your career with mutual funds mm. all of your career mm. in fact with mutual mm. funds 3 years before that were with <laughs> okay besides that everything has been mutual fund uh, so and buffett has been a well let's say uh, argument against the institutional imperative and what people have to do when they are institutions uh, my question is first of all and there is no hiding institutional imperatives you know the institutional imperatives are there what all things you can differentiate yourself on as a fund manager and what all things you can't differentiate on even if as an individual you may be very different from other fund managers what are those things where you cannot do much about so those strong institutional imperatives see uh, institutional imperatives are only uh, meant to make you more sensible to not take career risk decisions okay uh, and there also are a uh, product of the kind of environment in which you operate so if a company believes that mistakes are made as part of the process and are not to be investigated with a vengeance then there is very little career risk if you go wrong on a stock however colorful it may be so a lot of it depends on the environment and how the company views the investment philosophy or the way of uh, because we do not deal with exact information and we don't know how the future will unfold and we are not forensic investors i'm not saying we should not look at accounts but our job is only to do a, a 
cursory level investigation to see whether operating cash flow is positive whether debt has been repaid we can't go into the veracity of accounts because we don't have the access nor do we have the time we are not a private equity investor who's taking a board seat and therefore is going to be in marriage for a long time for us the option is always to exit if we make a mistake so in these kind of with this framework i think so it uh, delves more on the environment and perception of that environment for you to decide what is your lakshman rekha and what is not so in sundaram i have bought a unitec and i have also bought a lok housing people remember unitec they forgot about lok housing but nobody in sundaram would have questioned why i got lok housing wrong and that is a very important part of the environment that you want to be in so if you are in an environment where you believe that if you make a mistake and it will and you will be hung for it why would you then take the risk so i think that's the point any institution which is backward looking and procedure driven will always stifle risk taking because you will not be rewarded for the risk working out but you could be punished for the risk failing do you think one of the big reason is that most of the fund management side pe most of the people they don't really put their own money into the funds it keeps it away so you can take those bold calls so skin in the game concept which we were discussing see first of all i think warren buffett is a wrong example fair uh, yeah, yeah. i think so he is the most misunderstood investor of all times fair. used by people for exactly the wrong Wrong reasons context. and for yeah. the and just to justify everything and just to quote him our first time yeah so yeah. it sounds very intelligent to be yeah. a warren buffett yeah. so there is this if you are a value investor it is how many times you've been to berkshire hathaway annual general meeting is the badge of honor that you have in india as a value investor uh, and then people buy we know all so so first of all that is not so this skin in the game is a very different perspective i think so more or more than that you should have a head on your shoulder which should have a risk understanding and it is imperative that within the institution and outside the institution a more holistic way is used to measure a fund manager's success unfortunately in any measurement of fund manager the trailing performance has got such a high weight that any other parameter really doesn't so it's like the clouds in a sunny day they really don't matter uh, and performance is like the sun so if it is blazing high everything else is just disappear so to come back i think so skin in the game i think so uh, more than that there have to be risk parameters which should be evaluated there should be a consistency in defining uh, investment philosophy and sticking to it um rather than forcing a fund manager so to have a very high skin in the game so is this uh, another reason that highlighting of successes as well as the mistakes by the media as well as the inst- investors as well as the investment committee which blocks an in, uh, blocks a fund manager from taking calls which he would rather take it if there were no not this imperatives of answering out mistakes see it's a very thin line uh, between being brave and being foolhardy uh, and i think that's where it is the head on the shoulder that matters most uh, on how you define your risk 
appetite as well as that of the institution and i think that is something which uh, say for lack of word the superiors to a fund manager who are non fund management oriented do not appreciate so if the guiding star for measuring a fund manager is only performance mm-hmm. then i think the fund managers will do what is required to get that so which is where i think so i am not very critical about the industry but this is a first generation of our industry even in the us if you went in the 1940s or 50s fund houses did not have a investment philosophy or a thought process or style so as the industry matures and as the participants mature we will be a more mature industry so today which fund manager would openly say that their style of investing is closer to momentum based everyone is a long term high quality you know great capital allocation great corporate governance yeah. model which is fine i am not saying one should not have these criteria but nobody wants to hear the other thing that and i think it's a it's a great skill to have that if you say that i'll do very well in a bull market yeah. and if you feel, and if you believe the markets are bullish why wouldn't you give more money to a fund manager who's got a track record to do well in a bull market right but we have not yet reached that level of maturity of maturity in terms where, of clientele to understand yes okay so the stakeholders involved yeah are all I mean, you mean stakeholders. You also mean the investment committees and uh, the distributors, the, the customers. So in yeah. India, the rule of diversification is to get the top fund from five categories and not, you know, five different thought processes. Right. So, <laughs> uh, let me on that only just ask you a question that you said investment philosophy and risk, the two things that you mentioned, and you also mentioned head on the shoulder has been the major strength for any good fund manager. First of all. investment philosophy is driven by the fund manager or is it driven by the institution where the fund manager is lying see there are very few pure fund management companies left worldwide leave alone in india yeah. most of them are offshoots or have been acquired by a large or are part of a large financial services group yeah. so to say that a uh, that overseas there are several companies fund management company which have a e investment or an investment philosophy, philosophy is an oxymoron i think so this is a business of gathering assets sure and trying to be popular in all seasons with some offering or the other right so it all then boils down to the scheme what one can see very perceptibly even in a first generation market like india that there are a few fund houses where the overarching team might be to buy less expensive stocks but that would not be for all the stocks in the portfolio but overall you would find that there would be portfolio fund houses but but most others are only trying to perform yeah which means whatever is the flavor of the period is the one which and that will be common across the mutual fund so why i ask this is because mutual funds and uh, uh, i'm sorry to do this but again i will have to quote people from the outside only and within india also people uh, beyond the mutual fund industry are very critical of mutual funds as a unit and the reason is that they their point of view is that mutual fund is like 
banking which is a me too kind of industry and almost everybody is trying to do the same thing and trying to replicate the same thing primarily because there's a career risk involved so if you take the risk of uh, the, let's say an example for example that a particular company in nifty and i don't want to name but a particular company nifty is everybody is you know underweight on that thing and that thing all of a sudden goes up if everybody is changing the point of view uh, one fund manager might be taking a huge risk by not take not changing his point of view even though he doesn't believe in the whole uh, whole company story so that again the cliche of herd mentality is so uh, persistent that it becomes absolutely difficult for a fund manager to differentiate him on so let's uh, look at it from a different perspective um, we offer probably at one of the lowest cost the chance for an investor to do without any perceptible hard work to participate in the economic wealth of this country and the cost is fairly low by any standard now where the cost goes i will not get into that part but for a investor from investor point of view if you were to come as a direct investor you are probably getting use the services of whatever is available from the available talent pool the best of the talent at less than 100 bips per year if you come to the direct there is no fund which charges more than 100 bips direct and for what work and the average fund has still beaten the market and has given fairly decent return above inflation even with a herding mentality even without any investment philosophy even because that is how india's wealth has got generated and indian economic growth has created so much wealth that they have been able to partake in that process so i think so again coming from howard marks yesterday if the trend line is steep enough it's a question of how long you stay rather than anything else so i think so at a very low cost in a very regulated environment with liquidity on tap investors have access so i would not be too critical from that point of view that we are providing a service which still has given fairly comfortable returns to most investors if they had stayed put for a longer period of time and for the more sophisticated investor there are more sophisticated routes available but uh, in any market the base load in a plane the economy class pays for the fuel and business class pays for the profit so same way for a mutual fund is the same issue that is there that we are providing for most investors who have never invested in equities or who don't want to spend time understanding equities a route which is fairly cheap which is well regulated which offers liquidity and that should be the service that we should focus on rather than whether our investment style philosophy that is the next level yeah so there is another say element which a lot of investors those who are not pro mutual funds actually says a fund manager can trade his way out without getting taxed so for example the structure in india allows the end investors to take the long term capital gains irrespective of how much is the churn by the mutual fund manager who can take all the flavors of the season and still not get so is that a big advantage you have as a structural product say other products say a hedge fund may not have so or a pms in india doesn't have so that's their problem why should i worry yeah. about the problems other face i am not here yeah. to democratize yeah. see for investors the tax treatment of mutual fund should make it even more attractive to be in it except because 
we are trying to make it very uniformly lowest denominator it doesn't excite people who expect higher service or you know a higher meaning in the end there are 400 investable stocks in india so whether you go through a pms where you pay 250 to 200 bps and 20% or whatever is the profit or you pay 100 bps as direct stocks to wohi kharidna it's not that they have got a different market to play in which is not accessible to us or we have a market which is not so uh, i think so for investors that has been a greater advantage that mutual fund but i think so you will find most good funds have got a portfolio turnover of less than 50% which means they actually they hold on to investment at least for two years so nobody does trading in a demonic or a maniacal way where you have portfolio turnovers of 5 600% where what you are saying would be an added advantage which is not the case you can see most funds would probably have 5 or 10% of their portfolio ever on derivatives or which which might be traded more actively but all those numbers because of the regulator are printed every month every quarter every year so you can see that that's certainly not an advantage which of course a lot of pms guys and other investors claim as a disadvantage for them but life is not fair so over the years so what was your critical turning point in terms of understanding risk so when we speak to a lot of fund managers somebody says 2008 was somebody says 2001 was in terms of defining the own investment style or the putting the head of shoulders in a much better way so what was your changing point in your so i was being with a mutual fund 93 even though the first 10 11 years were as an analyst seeing from close what a fund uh, how a fund can get impacted and if you are a learner you will learn from those experiences so kothari pioneer blue chip was actually a closed end fund and we all thought we were cats whiskers so there used to be a discount for the listed stock uh, units to the nav and we thought you know the traditional thought process that you buy the discount in the last year was the first year of the bear market the nav itself fell from 15 to 11 <laughs> so for trying to get a 10% discount we lost 40% capital <laughs> so uh, so i think these are the things that over time you when you observe and what you uh, imbibe from that is what you build in your system so one was don't have very high concentration uh, which again goes against the, one of the beloved concepts of warren buffett focus on liquidity in a portfolio keep trimming profits so that you know you don't have one few stocks which drive your gains again it comes from either you should have a very strong framework which the institution has developed which would not be the case in india because we are a first generation industry which some of the foreign houses can claim to have had or you then build it from experience and say this is how you want to operate okay so so let's do one thing let's go in the specific of that so what is your investment framework and within and investment processes from the selection to the selling to the portfolio management let's go one by one into a bit more specifics now so first of all if you have to define your philosophy in let's say few words what will be your philosophy or framework of operation philosophies for uh, big guys like howard marks and so investment framework is i think it depends on the kind of fund you are managing if you are managing a diversified fund which is large mid cap oriented 
then you first understand your benchmark. Right. So usually we take BSE 200 and everything. So it's a fair uh, mix of large and mid. Okay. And then you do your sector allocation based on your thought process for the okay. next six months, one year, valuations, and then decide to do. And as a risk parameter, you decide how much overweight or underweight that you would be BSE 200. And I think so Compared over to time. Okay. I have realized that running a fund which has more sectors in it, even if you don't like it, is far better rather than taking absolute calls on just selecting a few sectors. And the problem in India is that any index 30% or okay. roughly is financial. So I keep getting amazed at people who are bottom up, but when you see the sectoral allocation, it's around 31% in financial always consistently. So you know, how can a bottom up fund manager end up with 31% financial consistently is a skill set that Indian mutual fund industry has clearly demonstrated on a real-time basis. Right. So I think so, if you go to 30% in a single sector, then you are not really a truly diversified fund. And that's where the problem comes is that in my previous organization, <clears throat> my big-headedness, we said that you can't go beyond 26-27% in financial and generate alpha out of other sectors. While it helped us in down markets, we would always get impacted severely in an up market and money comes on in an up market. So prudence, as Mr. Howard Mark says, is most revered in a bear market and least in a bull market. So I think that is something that I have realized. So I think so in India, yeah. the first thing you require is to have uh, you know, pragmatism in your investment thought process, which is that if the market is 31% financials, then you be okay. 31% financials and then decide your stocks, which are probably different from the benchmark rather than because say, it's a segment which has got the highest beta. It's got the highest weight. Being underweight is a career risk that you carry yeah. consistently. Sure. So, so your selection is going to be, uh, you will benchmark against your, I mean, you will take the benchmark, you will have to vary the stocks depending on your viewpoint on a particular sector. So, my view is that there are two moving parts in a portfolio construction for a diversified right. fund. One is sector allocation, one is stock selection. So, freeze the sector allocation okay. by putting, you know, overriding. What What do you look for in your sector uh, allocation criteria? So, don't go uh, overweight more than 500 webs for a sector which has got a weight of more than 10%. Okay. Sector weight which has got below 10% benchmark weight, don't be overweight by more than 300 okay. webs. Don't be, you know, also same way in terms of underweight. So, even if you don't like a sector, you still should have it in your portfolio. Classical cases, IT. August, September, last year, nobody yeah. liked IT. November, December, everyone was tripping to get into IT. So, if you limit your underweight uh, to a level where you don't have to have very dramatic moves yeah. in and out, uh, you can then... So, and get your alpha generation out of the stocks and not out of your sector selection. Okay. So, uh Okay, I'll, I'll, what I'll do is, I was, I was thinking of doing it later, but I'll do it side by side. So, uh, let's keep yourself in the shoes of fund manager also. And then, let's imagine that if you're not managing fund and you are an individual investor or let's say... I can't do that. 
I've been a fund manager now for too long. Too <laughs> so, okay, so let me put it this way: that if you have to, uh, if an individual investor comes to you and asks for asks for guidance, uh, you are going to take the benchmark as your uh, guiding criteria to start with because it's a for the diversified, for the diversified fund, yes, because you have managing a diversified fund. But if you were an individual investor, you have to tell some individual investor what is going to be the criteria. Then, are you still going to uh, say and assume diversified? Let's not go into the concentrated part of it. So, will you still advise him to go into the sectors where you are not comfortable with in either a cyclical way or whatever way, just for the sake of diversification? Do you think that's a good add-on, or it's something you will advise against? See, let me. answer it in a different okay. way to have a fund which is benchmark agnostic you should be first open to the idea that it will underperform for a significant period of time if you get your stock calls wrong and it will also outperform for significantly long periods of time so its tracking error sure. will be very high i don't know temperament wise how many investors are built for that so it can be used as a complementary product what does that mean you can put part of your allocation for a fund which is totally different from others okay and put a large part of your allocation which is something that you need to get benchmark plus return so i think the one of the things which i rail against a lot is that being a closet indexer requires more skill than being a outside benchmark uh, go anywhere fund manager believe me if your choice is only 100 stocks from where to beat the index it's far more difficult if your choice is 700 sure. stocks sure. to beat the index so first of all we should not be defensive if someone says that this style is closer to a closet indexer i would challenge anyone from the 50 stocks in the nifty to keep beating nifty consistently sure. it's not as easy as it appears but we all run funds which are diversified which means and again most alpha is small cap and that's where alpha is generated so you need to give assurance to an to an average investor or a first time investor of the names which are there in the portfolio and how the portfolio will behave versus the market and generate alpha out of the names that he is okay. not aware of and that's what diversified funds are meant to do that they meant to introduce volatility to an investor and make him prepared to go to the next level which is to go and buy a pure mid cap fund okay and that's the way i look at the journey of how funds should be sold and positioned for investors so are you saying that investors uh, a new time investor should not be pitched a mid cap or a small cap fund unless and until he is comfortable with the volatility of or is aware of it at a psychological level yeah so i think the, uh, so sure. how does he get aware is when he experiences it it's fine you don't experience yeah. it when you are shown a sheet you experience it when you put your money and then you say This year I have not made return, but last year I made very high returns, and next year when I made very high returns, I want to make even more, sure. so I'll take a higher risk because now I'm used to. So I think that's how the general progression okay. of investor should be: is that you get diversified okay. funds as the first step coming, then you go to mid caps, and then you get more, then you get into sectors because you become more informed and you are willing to take calls sure. on which sectors or which themes will play out, and that's the way the progression. of investor should be unfortunately progression of investor is by returns of which sector have which segment have been the highest rather than through this route 
okay so let's let, let's now go to the next step which is so after you have decided that okay you have to uh, you know change the allocation in that sectoral uh, allocations what is your selection criteria you go from industry to companies so on you have obviously have to take a call as to which industry you want to over way on and which industry you want to be undergone so i think there is no one way it could be a combination yeah. of factors valuation growth Fair opportunities enough. it could be susceptibility to any macro factor which a sector is more susceptible to in the near term can we take an example from let's say not the current example but let's say in the previous when you have taken or let's do one thing you have been uh, uh, you have taken calls in real estate at a time when you know they can't do an interview without talking of real estate it looks like so because yeah i mean that's unitech i just said unitech people remember so we remember that so i I'll, uh, i'll give you the genesis of unitech was that that point of time when i was running that fund we did not have any banking sector exposure for two reasons one was that i didn't understand banks and b i thought banks are a factor of scale so okay. if you wanted to play real estate i couldn't buy hdfc because hdfc was part of the nifty okay and there was no other housing finance company i thought which was i could have taken a bet on and the most unloved unwanted and undervalued sector was the real estate company their past colorful history so yeah. you needed to be a little bit naive foolhardy brave yeah. uh, and we didn't make money on it for a year so it's not that we bought the stock and it went up so for a year yeah. which is where in a 600 crore fund if you buy 6 crores worth of unitech you won't have to worry every day on what it does so that was my it was an option value and we made sure that we never let it cross 5% of the fund So when, he, when even the fund went to twenty eight hundred crores and Unitech went to whatever, it was not more than five percent of the fund at any point of time. We sold out of it completely, uh, and I think that was the thought process that there was no other way to play the real estate boom. Uh, no, but but my point is, uh, real estate boom is a foresight or is it a it's an assumption? No, it was what was happening at that point of okay. time. It was what was happening at that point of time. Gurugram uh, was developing, yeah. rates were going up. banks were showing housing finance companies were showing but then why was it that not many people were in real estate sector is it because of the past you're saying i think so just the uh, colorful history attached to these and they were not mumbai based frankly <laughs> <laughs> and the industry is very mumbai centric so if unitech was mumbai based some i'm sure some other fund managers would have discovered it much earlier than okay uh, they were no listed mumbai based real estate players at that point of time if i'm Mistake, okay which is why the mumbai fund managers missed out on it uh, not that it helped us we were in chennai and pro, but i was from delhi so, so you were working huh? in delhi only that time you were no, you no were i was working in chennai, chennai. Okay. so i had been in chennai for uh, 12 13 years even before that being a delhi that would have been very difficult ha <laughs> huh, so again i'm saying the further you are away the less watts you see so the superstar that you idolize so, looks yeah, most beautiful absolutely. in a picture rather than in reality when you interact so <laughs> so same way with the but you know uh, they had 1200 crores of advances from customers and they had 1100 to market you just had to open the balance sheet once to see that number that they could fund their growth for the so that was advances they had taken for business which had to be booked by them and okay. would get some so if i have to take one uh, let's say a key lesson or something like that you have been quoting howard marks so let me just quote one more he said that you have to be contrarian and you have to be right okay and 
in the real estate theme that pretty much worked out the same same way you were contrarian because nobody was betting on the past history of the uh, promoters or whatever the colorful history but it went on to be a right call uh, the question of being right is where my next question is that in one of your previous interviews i have said i i was reading is that you have said that foresight is something which is over you know uh, it's, it's something which has been it's over harped on but it's very limited it's available in a very limited quantity per se uh how, how do you get that contrarian part i understand you can look for industries which are in dumps and all see i'll give you a very simple example if i was yeah. really a foreseer of future yeah. and if I, and if unitech was not a fluke then i should not have missed the building material boom of okay. 2010 to 2014 but you can't foresee everything but you can have like yeah so it's very difficult to but i'm just saying again my point is that uh, it is very difficult to get it right and uh, to take big bets on it so i uh, let me rephrase it let me rethink what i just said i think so it's very difficult to repeat what you people give you credit for of seeing the future repeatedly even in the same sector so there is for there is an element of randomness if not luck in your ability to to sure. do that and one should be at least humble enough to accept that but, but if it's happening frequently you will give skill the more uh, weightage then 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 you should not be a fund manager working for others then you should be managing your own money trying to become the next rakesh nunwala with leverage <laughs> why, why would unless you have genes of mother teresa in you where you want to uh, do it for the larger good of people but if you're so good that you can spot every you yourself will so you know this is something which someone told me in 2002 i was a very frustrated person that i had been an analyst for 10 yeah. 11 years uh, i didn't see any you know markets had tanked after 2000 we were at the bottom so i met someone in mumbai who's a very uh, good investor and he might not remember so he was just quitting his job to start his to join a fund and he said anu there is one thing about financial sector market you should remember that salary and money will always find talent so you don't have to look for either of right. them if you have them then they will that point of time i didn't understand because neither was my salary very high nor was my talent very well known uh, but i have realized that i think so if you do well as a fund manager and as long as that is a public right. track record you will get money to manage people will find because making money is a very scarce art which even if you're living in timbuktu and speaking swahili or whatever is the language there people will find a way to come to you and give you money to manage if you had a alchemy to convert um, you know money into gold so but it takes you a lot of time to realize and when you are in it you don't really appreciate it but over time i have realized that which is what my advice to my peers or my colleagues is that you know, when you start a fund when you start managing a fund you may take a longer time because you are not known but it will be very you have to be really you know unlucky that if you have 3 years of quartile 1 performance that your fund will not be a few thousand sure. crores today so again i'm saying uh, performance gets rewarded by aum in this business as long as you have a creditable track record public yeah. track record which which people can track so you don't know when somebody in norway wakes up and looks at a fund which is 
done well over 10 years and gives you money sure. to manage sure. so uh, okay for again taking something from your previous interviews and again coming back to the investment framework uh, of stock selection or industry selection and then stock selection uh, and somewhere i was reading that meeting management is one of your way to judge whether the business cycle is turning or not can you just take me through first of all are you a quant database business cycle finder let me put it this way or you are like okay there is this whole gamut of industries i keep on tracking them for a long period of time so i get a sense and then i start focusing on where i think the business cycle is which of the two so i think so which is again what i tell my colleagues is that in your first 10 12 years the more number of companies you meet and keep notes on is probably the library of knowledge that you build for yourself for future and i i wish i could graduate to a very quant based system rather than a very intuitive based system which requires you to interact with managements to figure out who's doing well not so our meetings never focus on earnings or the sure. our meetings usually focus on the environment in which they operate which markets are doing well bad why are they doing well you know how are their suppliers behaving how do they behave with the suppliers how are the competitors behaving and i think we are the patsies who go before a quarter and never know the next quarter numbers so because that to me is not my sure. to ask and it should i should not cross that line uh, but that gives you a perspective on the broader business um, and from that you get leads so it's a very intuitive unfortunately uh, you can't call it a very systematic way but i'm i'm slightly curious uh, you said and i'm just speaking on words i could be wrong but you said that you would want to be quantitative driven do you think first of all it's possible so i would think that at some point of time so for example why shouldn't a fund manager buy a profitable company trading below one time book and not worry about valuations or where the industry is or how until the marriage until as the earnings itself are a so if you have a company which has got a fairly regular track record of dividend paying trades at less than one time book why should you be worried of which industry it is but i don't have that confidence because i have experienced it it's very nice to say in theory so apollo tires is a great example of a company profitable company trading at one time book but has not made any money for the last 3 4 years because the baggage about the company is far more than what sure. it has delivered and i think so to come to that system it is better to do it in your personal capacity where you are not being judged on a relative basis on very short term periods but uh, but as a fund manager not every company will turn out to be like this one so as a practice if you find companies which are profit making dividend paying at trading at less than one time book after you adjust the book for any uh, for any issues of being over inflated because of goodwill or others it should be a very standard way to look at a stock to buy so are you saying because your starting point is index based that is why you can't do that or no my starting not my starting base because we are in a rat race where our trailing 12 month performance is fairly important yeah. to be relevant and especially when you are restarting in a new company you don't want to saddle your portfolio with such high concept but unknown future movement portfolio so you would actually start building 
some part of your portfolio as your fund gets more stable performance as it becomes a quartile two from see it's also relative you can't take a too long term of view when your fund is fourth quartile then it's really a career risk then the guy who comes after you will probably be the smart guy who gets the benefit of whatever you did so you have to mix and match depending on where you are so i was reading a very interesting article which i should have read years back but i read it now where he said that one should look at your top holdings from a next year perspective and not this year because you you know how bad you are this year you should worry be worried what what will bring you right. down next year and try to rectify that and i think that's something which i'm trying to think more on so it's a the ideal way and you know unlike a doctor you can't have a checklist of having 17 points which you tick mark against and then say this is a buy sell or a hold because we don't have that luxury in investing but at some stage for a retail investor who's not being judged on a daily basis or on a short term basis that could be a very good way to invest for long term because the returns would be fairly similar to what you would get from what we do but without but it would have long periods of very high tracking error so like what you mentioned is in terms of management meetings you try to understand the industry from the managements a lot of people actually believe in going to the industry and then trying to under- understand the management through scuttlebutt and um, so a lot of people basically go to the unlisted players or vendors and suppliers and then try to get a hang or you go the other way around so see most public listed fund managers are fairly lazy they only go for meetings which they can get so we are not private equity investors whose job is to meet 500 companies a year and then keep doing this so i don't know i know it's a mythical statement that a lot of fund managers meet unlisted players but i want to know who are the guys who fix the meetings for them because i'm sure i get the same i would have the same guys giving the invite to me as well uh what it can help is if you are part of a large industrial group which has got business in similar industry that you can get an informal perspective which is very different from but believe me that is just theoretical nobody gives you time even if you are in a large group or even if you are part of an international group to spend 2 hours with them to understand unless you have some access to your boss or your boss has built some social network within the so i think a lot of it is done when you don't have pressure of daily performance so again retail investors or private investors who run a very different portfolio can do this it's very rare to find a public listed portfolio manager who can say that i spent 20% of my time meeting unlisted companies to understand the industry and getting a perspective from them we just don't have the access and we don't have the time frankly so has there been any any instance where you just believe the management because many a times people have taken a call on belief rather than data so has there been some cases where you just took a bet on the management and forsaking the data which is available as of now see uh, management comfort comes with uh, duration time and the amount of money they made you so it doesn't come from the first meeting so <laughs> i am not among those fund managers who on one meeting would have put in 100 crores in a stock because they like that management uh, that's not my risk taking style if i would have invested 100 crores in a stock it would have taken probably 2 years and some 5 6 meetings 
and at least 50% up on the original investment for me to go to that level so i i again you know in one way are you saying that you judge the management quality by the price i know it's not yeah i'm just saying it's no i'm just saying your 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 comfort comes from what they say but when you say you're not talking about the price you're talking about the earnings i'm just saying both okay what are the deliverables that they have actually achieved from versus this? see one reason why in asia we have we are a country which has got the highest speed because we are all good talkers who speak english who say the right things you show me how many managements today don't talk about capital allocation roc which is what a and if you are a foreigner who's come from boston and who thinks india is a country where probably nobody would have heard of roc and he meets a management and he gets bowled over and then they go and do some four acquisitions mm. with 6% irr mm. that's where people get disappointed but i'm saying what we, it's a management meeting is like your courtship in a um, arranged marriage both sides are giving the best side to for you so you have to be a little bit skeptical and your skepticism and your skepticism goes off uh, as you meet them more often and as you see them for a longer period of time and okay uh, and i do believe that price does play a large some part in your getting comfort with them okay then my next question is that why do that at all earnings you can track of the company the performance everything else is there that's what i'm saying that's what i want to graduate to in the next 2 years where i get into a system where i can look at a quarterly number and build a thesis on a stock that now it has bottomed out or the earnings have peaked out i still haven't reached that level a because i've been used to the access to management for the last 13 14 years so you do get addicted to it but it's one more stage that you need to develop for example i have never met any it company frankly now the large ones i have ever met because i just don't understand but i know it's a business which there are other people who understand better than me i just look at the numbers and buy it from valuation perspective so you do both sides of the so i i can do it for it but i can't do it for a manufacturing company or an auto company because if i have got access then why wouldn't i do it uh, then the question becomes how much of the that access is helpful or it you you're doing because you have been doing it for a long time see i think so what it does it makes you a prisoner from taking the right sell decision not from the right buy decision i think so getting too close to management so i don't have too many mobile numbers of ceos of companies nor am i on any of their list to be called for any social functions or weddings you know of their offspring or whatever and as you know, that's one way to be able to take a and some of the lousiest sell decisions that i have taken are when you get too comfortable with the management um, that means selling too late then they are not your then they as it is will not be due too often so you will not get too comfortable with them if you sell it <laughs> sell it too early see if you sell too early you can always come back and buy is your selling decision primarily on valuation basis it should be based on valuation but i think valuation is only one side of the story okay what is the other side is where the weight is in the portfolio of the stock so if if you think it's cheap but it's 5% you will have to sell if it is cheap no no if it is cheap and it's 5% i won't sell but if it's expensive and 5% then i would sell but if it's cheap and it's 5% it it won't be there at 5% it won't be there because you start with 1 or 2% so it has to go up tremendously so i generally won't buy a 3% What's your starting point? 
as small as possible. Um, what is that? <laughs> Depends. So if I just want to keep a one percent position, I'll even start at ten babes. If I want to keep a two percent position, I'll start at quarter. Okay, and how do you decide which company deserves what kind of allocation? What size? Depending on what size of the industry you see, how do you want to look at it? Uh, what do you see the liquidity of that stock? Whether you can build a reasonable position in it or not? If you know you can't, then you just say, okay, I'll buy only half a percent, and you know whatever comes, I'll buy thousand shares every day at some price. Okay, so stock selection, industry selection, um, selling, portfolio. Uh, allocation that part is something you have given a light on uh, the part which i want more light on is the risk management and you have been saying that head over shoulders and risk management are the two primary things how do you define risk and i know you can i'm mean, buffett quote and everybody else we know that volatility is not risk and all that stuff but what's your way of looking at risk so till 2008 when i first read a howard marks uh, memo my concept of risk equal volatility the i am a average intelligent guy i have no uh, and if you've done large part of your life doing mid caps you tend to be swayed by that thought process so why are more mid cap funds more risky because mid cap funds are more volatile you have chances of losing capital from time to time which you don't have in large caps because in large caps theoretically you don't lose capital theoretically was a in good insertion there so i think so uh, i think so one is for our investors risk should be liquidity of the portfolio okay especially on the mid and small cap side and i don't want to have again any numbers but we used to run a mid cap fund in uti which had 38 days liquidity versus some of our years which had 300 days and it was my foolishness that we could never impress upon our management that this is what we are doing can you just slightly because i'm not aware of it how do you calculate that number of days liquidity so we take if you were 20% of the daily volume of a stock stock how many days would it take for the entire portfolio you do it at 25 you do it at 15 you do it at 10 you do an average of all three if you want to be very very so 300 days yeah there are funds which are at 300 days wow that's surprising i i'm pretty shocked by that thing actually but frankly it doesn't matter nobody looks at it okay nobody from investing side you're saying investors or the fund managers <laughs> people involved who make the fund bigger whether it's okay. investors whether it's distributors okay uh, so i think the a you should see that one okay second is from point of view of concentration how many companies you have in portfolio where you own more than so again to go back to my previous company we had very idealistic way of doing risk management we think so risk management as a lot of renowned peers say it is not what yeah. value at risk but it is generally how liquid your portfolio is so what percentage of the free float you own how many such companies should be in your portfolio where you own more than 10% of the free float if a company has got uh, a float only of 20% and yeah. you have a 3% position in the company yeah then it's not a 3% position in the company sure Exactly, six and a half percent. Sure. But if you have a five percent position in a company, which is a free float of sixty-five percent, you are far better off than the first. Uh, I just missed that question, the previous one. Uh, that does that number of days liquidity thing. You said people don't look at it. Is it a number which is available to the investors to make a decision? Of course, it's available. See, if you make an effort, everything is available. The point is, all these things 
are brought out only when the fund doesn't do well yeah so that's a very interesting perspective because like one more thing which i've noticed is in all your investments over the years there have been no bets which are outsized in terms of you being part of that company which has been all over through your track record even in terms of and that is why a lot of companies maybe you must have had a lot of omission mistakes purely out of risk management wherein you don't go ahead and take up the whole float so we see a lot of those things happening and one more thing from a perspective of a lot of stocks in india it is easy to buy and it is extremely difficult to sell when the time comes because inherently in india promoter ownership is 50 to 75% and when you look at it in terms of further institutional holding you go to the point where the floats are between 10 to 20% across even in large caps which is available to be bought and is that a reason outperformance has been tough or good how do you take it as in the float has been a factor of you can outperform maintenance buying or whatever we call it in the industry i i think so it is something which more informed investors and stakeholders in the process have to be become more vocal about so to me a true skill of a fund manager is when he outperforms with a 100 crore or with a 500 crore or with a 1500 crore fund because then he has none of mm. those factors available and then you have to see from where did that outperformance come came from so if it came from buying opto circuit when it was going up or buying some other company then it is not then it is not a skill based so what what did howard mark say yesterday if you are aggressive and your timing is right you don't need too much skill to do well so how do you differentiate i think the one way to differentiate is at a certain size where did your money come from okay but that's something which uh, which i don't think anybody which i can say because now i'm in a small <laughs> larger fund house i would say skill is when you do are able to move a larger ship uh, or a tanker is one so it's a different perspective I mean, it's not easy either way in it requires a very different temperament to succeed in each of these two scenarios can you take us to some of the biggest blunders of your life in investing and the key learning from there we'll take the whole day <laughs> so uh, so i think the one is uh, looking back 2010 2014 not figuring out the building material okay boom hmm. uh, and i credit you know sikua single handedly was the only investor who got it right across every company in that sector and they would have made multiple times market um so that's a very clearing i have never bought a housing finance company with any conviction so i missed that part so it has taken me a long time to correlate how bond yields move and how housing finance companies react to that some errors of commission uh, uh, in the sense that you committed the errors rather than omit i mean this was a miss this was a miss there was a lot lots of that one is getting too comfortable with money okay have you ever uh, been part of companies which turned out to be fraudulent in nature yeah yeah so i can't say that i don't have any marks on my armor and only others have it is a question of what uh, proportion of your portfolio got impacted which being a diversified fund would always be less isn't it no you could take a bigger position if you had conviction so one 
one more perspective in terms of investor appetite which is increasing across india in terms of so for a simple example we being investors 10 years back or 5 years back people used to ask what stock to buy and the culture is changing towards what mutual fund to buy i wish some of, i wish some of them would also have a idfc fund in it so <clears throat> yeah so so that is slowly the shift which is happening and say when we look at data uh, say say for say for example 100 rupees the total float 50 is roughly with promoters another 20 22 is with the fiis foreign institutions and maybe we are at 12 to 15 for domestic ones so when do you think will be a inflection point wherein the domestic money over the next few years if the culture changes would we be going to a point where the whole market will be fueled by domestic money instead of foreign money over the next decade or maybe 5 years or is that cultural change happening because you being part of the industry we are just outsiders on that side through being outsiders you will have a better perspective than from somebody who's playing it from inside so i think there are two things one is a lot of it depends on where real estate goes because real estate is probably half to 60% of all savings of investors in india on an average so if real estate comes back for whatever reason then this flow will dry off it may not go back to where we started but it'll come off from the uh, current gushing levels that we are b is how long the market is positive because unlike an insurance policy closure of sip has got no penalty so i am one of the few guys who is not a big believer that this fountain is a kamdhenu cow which will keep delivering every year after year if it doesn't get enough grass it will stop milk so one should not take that this is a because people are coming in for returns if they get fearful if returns for a extended period of time do not satisfy their threshold period then this tap will get closed and we don't have any emergence of institutional money yet which is concrete uh, most of it is going into etfs for whatever reason which we should not get into so mutual funds are starved of uh, that flow which should have organically come to us uh, if institutional money which is pension provident fund money was getting invested in the market but you know uh, so from these three factors i would not say that this is a given that we should take as a status and b is that a lot of it is also a kind of a circular reference behavior because foreigners are not selling and indians are buying markets are going up and therefore indians are putting more money in but if a period when dollar appreciates and foreigners keep on selling then indians will not keep on buying after some point of time because they will see the behavior and market so i think so you should not take it that it's a given that irrespective of what happens to fii money this money will continue to flow in so i don't think so the equity has arrived as a legit asset class where people will invest in irrespective of what their recent experiences so nobody till now i know gets up in the morning to say today i have to yes. <laughs> okay so yes what you're saying is the recent experiences have caused the equity to become flavor it's not so the uh, it is not the cause of that so i'm just trying to say that it is not something you should take it as a it is a circular reference 
of other things working rather than this behavior impacting the other sure sure okay uh, so i'll just uh, close it with some two questions first if you have to and i know it's a difficult thing to do but let's say if if a kid comes to you for guidance and you just have to give him four five key points summary of your wisdom in five points i wish i had any wisdom to offer but then that itself is a lot of people will doubt that no i think so it is not a it is something that you will first again this is a shameless pitch that if you can't understand it do it through someone else so i will not pitch it for mutual funds but because pms will not take a 5000 rupee inflow then the only alternate available for that poor guy is a mutual fund until unless pms starts taking 5000 rupee so a learn through that experience b read to understand why you're doing c simplest is to look at companies within the sector in which you work and use that learning to figure out so don't live in a compartment so if you are a marketing guy or a advertising or a sales guy don't view it as that as your only function understand how is your company makes a profit how do your competitors make a profit and then use that learning to put to good use so the safest way would be to invest in companies of the sectors in which you in which your company is operating and usually people unlike few idiots like me who have been in one sector for 25 years generally would work in two or three different sectors in their working life so you would probably get two or three sectors to learn from and to build a portfolio from it's a very simple way but you have to be open enough to understand the possibilities it offers to you from the inside uh, but people don't see it that way uh, people are so used to seeing the wood that they forget there's a forest uh, and if you are an accountant or if you're a sales guy you just spend your time doing that rather than understanding how the companies make a profit and you know how you should profit from it so either you are trying to seek a tip which is dangerous or you are totally blind to and oblivious to how a company operates and makes money um, so you know that's a to me that's a very sensible way to look at things around you and understand so if you want to follow the great warren buffett that tenet of doing what you understand is probably the one which is the easiest to follow um, and you should figure out whether in your janampatri you are lucky or not so if you are not and you have you have to be lucky to make money to be at the right place at the right time requires luck as well as hard work but it requires luck as well okay and so you spend close to every time you have working it's investing what do you do besides investing yeah so i think so uh, i am trying to over the last few years i've been uh, trying to develop other so i am a big basketball fan so i follow san antonio spurs so my life ambition is to go and see every march when they come back to play 12 games at home every march but i can't do that Uh, but at least some point of time i should do it um my kids are growing up so just uh, going for their just seeing them grow up takes time not that i participate in it too much but <laughs> just be and uh, i i i want to become a writer at some point of time i want to write blogs wow hmm. you write blogs 
no no seriously i my uh, uh, and i'm saying because because i am i believe as a public listed uh, long only fund manager uh, imitation is something that comes very natural to us uh, my <laughs> okay. I, I, my idea is grantland if you had seen that site so i want to be the bill simmons of india so, so i want to give views on everything from films to wwe which i watch shamelessly even now <laughs> to uh, basketball to cricket i think so in india the the level of writing on cricket is abysmal unfortunately the following and the comments on uh, following cricket is also abysmal where people write in capital letters yeah. and it's so personal uh, <laughs> and yeah. i compare it to us sports where the writing level may not be great literature but it's interesting for you to spend that 10 yeah. minutes to read that article i'm not saying we want to write a jane austen pride and prejudice sure but the 10 minutes or 8 minutes you give to that person to read an article should be something that you enjoy and uh, want to do it again and again sure but almost every great writer have said that to be a great writer you have to be a great reader so do you read also a lot i used to so i have these spurts no i think it happens in spurts i just don't have the concentration these days so i'm trying to read the ramayan which is uh, one version which is the exact translation of valmiki's okay so after one month i'm at 330 page out of 700 so i keep it for my flights uh, and try to read it on that last time i was trying to read a book somebody snicked it from the Okay. I I I read a lot of crime. Okay. Any favorite author? Yeah, okay, the Ian Rankin. So I'm a big a big fan. I think so uh I am trying to in widen my so I don't read any investment book anymore. I just read memos and uh, oh, so constant engagement with the markets but not learning based. Not based on us any book which have influenced your investment process so when i started i read a book on uh, ratios and analysis financial statement by leopold bernstein okay uh, which i shamelessly got xerox copied okay and to me that taught me more about ratios which was important as an analyst at that point of time okay. which i would recommend uh, see most of it is very anecdotal and the indian markets are a very different stage from what you read and sure uh, sure from the completely agree so yeah it's great to show your intellectual capacity but it's very difficult to, to implement, implement it and we're all buying metal stocks sure. when they are hot <laughs> sure great any question noresh sure. hello thanks a lot thanks a lot anup thank you so much